Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Pod Strickland. I'm your host, Shwini Poon. This is episode 174. I am joined, as always, by my esteemed co-host. That's Prez, at Presidente on Twitter. Prez, how are you doing? I'm feeling extra esteemed today. Do you know why? Uh, because you got 2,000 followers. Exactly. I know that doesn't mean a lot to... Someone with internet clout like yourself <laughs> who can send out a a rant on a whim and gain another hundred followers. But for a lowly two thousand word comment writer, tweeter, shit poster like myself, this is quite a big deal. I'm we've convinced come a, we've come a long way. I'm convinced it's like a draft Twitter thing because Draft Twitter people that I follow that I think are really good, I'll like look at their follower accounts, and they're always like way below what I would think. So I'm just like, wait, what? Like, I'm like, what do people that follow the draft that like what do they do if they're not following? only follow other draft Twitter people? That's yeah. it. It's so weird. So I'm just, I, I think that's you just got to lean into the shit posting. You know, that's that's really the key to it all. You know what it is? I'm very, I, I'm not, I have no self awareness about social media. And how it works in terms of gaining followers and strategies and engagement and all that. And I know that because I was thinking about it today. And there's so many easy things you can do. And everybody who's like not an idiot probably already knows this shit. But like literally every time I just post a random video of Deuce or Rokas, I gain like 50 followers. But I don't like doing that. I'd rather have just like... Ten, a 10 tweet thread with no video and no photos and just only text. <laughs> of all won't this let... fucking Williams. <laughs> yeah, because I came up writing fucking 10,000 word comments in posting and toasting. And I just want to do that, except on Twitter, but it doesn't <laughs> let me. So I have to make it 10 tweets instead. All right. Well, that's, that's, our, uh, that's how we're going to give people advice to get more followers. Uh, I actually have no idea how the fuck I got 10,000 followers, but thanks to all the people that decided <laughs> that I, I'm worth following uh, because I just fucking tweet out numbers every day talking about how Tom Thibodeau is a fucking asshole. Um, Alright, we're going to talk more about Tom Thibodeau being an asshole, <laughs> uh, but before we get into that, uh, I do have to make an announcement that the Strickland does have a Patreon. There are a number of tiers you can subscribe to. There's a $6 tier that gets you access to this, to this pod every week, Pod Strickland every Friday. That's with me and my esteemed co-host, Press. Uh, you also get access to my mailbag every other week with Jeremy and Drew. You also get access to the Strickland Discord, where we have a draft channel that is now popping. With every loss that the Knicks endure, the draft channel becomes... It's just taking over the Strickland Discord. Uh, there's also constant discussion about the Knicks and various things. It's very fun. Uh, there's a $9 tier beyond that. That gets you access to weekly articles from Jack Huntley and Matthew Miranda. 
It also gets you access to a weekly, po- a bi-weekly pod, sorry, I should say, uh, that I do by myself called Strick and Roll. If you want to listen to me yell even more about the Knicks, there's further tiers, a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and a $100 tier. That gets you access to additional benefits like merchandise discounts, listen, uh, listening in on pod recordings, and potentially even co-hosting a pod one day. Whether you choose to subscribe or not, your support is appreciated. And without further ado, let's get started. Um, the Knicks lost again to Philly twice in a row since we recorded this. I guess I recorded with Stacy on whatever the fuck. We, we lost to them on Sunday first. Yeah, so we recorded that night. But yeah, the Knicks lost to the, the fucking Sixers again. Um, I don't really take much out of these games anymore because Tibbs is just coaching out the string. And I'll be completely, completely honest with you. I think Tibbs knows he's getting canned. I think he knows this is his last job. coaching, Head coaching job, anyway, in all likelihood, at the NBA level. And I think because of that, he's just like, okay, well, I'm going to coach exactly how I want to. Yeah. He's just, he's going to coach exactly how he wants to coach. He doesn't give a shit if you want to see the kids. He doesn't care if you don't think Alec Burke should start. He doesn't give a shit if Taj Taj shouldn't play and Jericho should get the minutes regardless of what's happening on the court. He doesn't care. He does not care. That's exactly who he's coaching, and that's what we're going to see until he's gone because I just don't see any way where he he switches it up. So all we can do amidst all of this is just appreciate the fact that R.J. Barrett is powering through uh, what is truly a year of suck for the Knicks uh, and is starting to really come into his own. Um, and, you know, there's, you know, we can sit here and talk about, like, you know, how impressive is all of it because the Knicks are losing and blah, 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 blah. But I don't really give a shit. About, I mean, the numbers are nice. Don't get me wrong. It is nice to be like, yeah, he's averaging 24 points a game for 23 games now. Like, it's nice to say all that. But it's more than that. It's, you know, he's averaging that. He's putting up these numbers. He's being more efficient. And that's not because of anything other than just, like, his improvements. Um, and you can just see it. Like, it's so visible, so much more patient when he drives really just like not in a rush not forcing stupid off balance layups to his left he's not pre-deciding he's reading it it's like we like you were dming me earlier like what did you say like he's not just fucking like bum rushing left yeah. on the pistol action every time he's not just, turboing it yeah <laughs> he, he's he's learning the gears in between and it's it's so fun to see and that's how that's one of the reasons i think he's doing a lot better on a on his pull up shooting so since in 2022, he's um, hitting about 38% on pull-up threes, which is very, very good. Um, small sample, of course. I think like about 33s. And then 40%. Massive on- sample. It means it's, it's never getting worse from here, guys. <laughs> hey, man. Listen. <laughs> I will take my victory lap, but hold on. Let me finish the leverage. And then, so 40% from uh, on pull-up twos, which I actually don't know if that includes floaters and stuff, but whatever. Pull-up twos. And both of those are on like not tiny volume, but not huge volume. So 7% of his shots are pull-up threes and uh, 12% are pull-up twos. And for comparison, last year, towards the end of the year, when Julius was at the height of his powers, um, I think about 10% of his shots were pull-up threes. And IQ is regularly at like 25% of his shots are pull-up threes or something crazy like that. So uh, it's... It's impressive, and and him slowing down and being able to do that, 
back in the way beginning of the year before, you know, he's had such a roller coaster of a year, but back in the beginning, I, my guess was that he was going to start hitting pull-ups this year. Cause usually if you can, if you have guys who are getting comfortable with their handle, like really comfortable and they were really good at hitting spot up threes, then the pull-up follows unless they're really low on the, the pecking order for an offense, which obviously RJ is not. So it was kind of disappointing for most of the year, you know, to see him uh, not taking and not making those. And I didn't even think about it for a while, though, because I was like, I just want him to hit regular shots like jumpers and layups because he had that rough <laughs> patch. And Schwinn, as as always, was like, just be patient, bro. It's not like you were saying he was going to start hitting pull-ups, but like... He, you I know, called this... Nobody this entirely (laughs) (laughs) on according to plan, but no, like, you know, obviously no one's going to have shoot dog shit like that stretch. He was for the whole season. Um, Even IQ is finally breaking out. So like it it is a long, it is a long season, especially on this team. And like, I know we don't have to spend too much time on it, but like the joke coming in, right. When RJ was drafted, it was like, RJ didn't see good spacing at Duke. And, we're here a couple years in, and he still hasn't seen good spacing. And it was better; it was a little better last year, but the shot profile for the Knicks wasn't great. And now this year, the shot profile is way better. It does not feel like the spacing is good, though. But it's not; it's not yeah. because we have last year, like we had so many mid-range shots because Julius was killing with them. Um, and then obviously we had Elf, uh, <laughs> which was awesome. Elf. Yeah, Some, this, but somehow the funniest thing is somehow <laughs> Elf, we actually downgraded somehow. So that's great. It's amazing. It's not somehow. It's by having not just. It's one thing to have a center that doesn't space the floor, but we have forty-eight minutes of power forward with no spacing now. It's Julius, great. for all his <laughs> all his improvements over the last uh, month and change, uh, shooting yeah. jump shots not among them. So if I'm another opponent, I'm playing way off Julius. I'm playing off Obi. If they want a backdoor cut, I'm leaving it to my center to handle that, and I'm just assuming the Knicks won't make that pass. So it's rough for RJ out here. Like I, I can't. I mean, we'll see what the roster looks like next year, but like, it's you got to think it's only up in terms of spacing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, the spacing stuff is. Uh, I don't even. I'm not sure exactly what to make of it all. Like, I hear you about the, uh, you know the fact that Julius isn't hitting shots and Obi isn't hitting shots, but even when they were hitting shots or when, at least when Julius was hitting shots last year, it's like, you know, we've talked about this and obviously having elf in that lineup didn't yeah, help like the cause, it. <laughs> didn't help the cause, but like, even when, you know, you'd have quickly or Rose or something in the spacing was still not, you know, it just wasn't close. Great. Yeah. It still wasn't great. And I mean, part of that is like, I do think Tibbs understands the value of floor spacing and the three. Like, I do believe that. I don't think that he's, like, unaware of the importance of these things. But, and actually, this so this is actually kind of interesting. I remember reading, uh, like, back when Sam Van Gundy was with the Pistons. I remember, like, randomly, you know, you'd, you know, because back in the day, you know, you'd go on other teams' blogs and read the comments. And spe- specifically when they lose games, because it's not fun to read another team's blog when they win. It's only fun to read it when they lose, and you can just kind of see the crazy shit that goes on. Um, I would go in there, and they would all bitch about, like, the floor spacing and how it's, like, all the same shit, and it's stagnant and all this stuff. And I'm like, man, this guy was, like, the first one to popularize, like, you know, 
going four out with the dive man and they had so much success in Orlando and I look up the numbers and they're taking a lot of threes and I'm like, what are these guys talking about? And now I get it. I get it, Pistons fans, the two Pistons fans maybe that are out there for some reason listening to a Knicks podcast. I get it. I understand it because there's nothing happening off the ball. There's nothing ever happening off the ball. So even if you have great floor spacers, even if you have great the, it's the, more than just having shooters, yeah. quote unquote. Yeah, it's 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 if you have three guys on an on uh, dotted around the court, you can defend that with two guys, really. Exactly, and you, and you can have your third dude as a rote as like crashing down on the drive, whatever it is. It doesn't really matter. But like the point is, you have to keep teams occupied, and we don't keep them occupied except with what's going on the ball, what's going on on the ball. I should say, sorry. And I, I just think like you know. I, I don't want. Well, we can get back to the tip stuff because that is a huge criticism I have with tips. And I was really, I don't know why. Yesterday, it just like it was like so abhorrent to me yesterday that I had to fucking tweet out a bunch about it. <laughs> but like, I don't want to talk about that yet. I do want to get like, but within that context, to see what RJ is doing right now is pretty awesome. And I think like when you don't watch the Knicks every game and live and die with all their possessions and it's kind of hard to be like, what are you guys so excited about? Like, you know, I, I, I get it. Like it's, yeah. I mean, look, it's cool. He's 54 true shooting for two months. Like awesome, but not exactly. It, it's not just that. It's like, you see what he's doing. And I imagine what he's doing in an offense that has more flow that gets him advantages that he doesn't have to create every single time down on his own. Um, you know, I just, you see all of that. And, like, you know, the point guard stuff doesn't really matter. I mean, it matters to me, but it, I I don't really think that's what's... If there is something holding him back from a personnel standpoint, I really don't think that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's more about the, the schematic choices we've made in deploying our talent, and then also he, just the not having not, a spread five ever, not going small ever. Yeah, um, he's, not, he's not, like, a big who really depends on the point guard to to get him what he needs, he, what he depends is on everybody else to give him some room to do his thing. So yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah. And I just, I, I'm just like, I don't know. I can't really say much more about it other than like how impressed I am with how he's surged really. And he surged at a time when, I mean, let's be honest. I think it looks to me and it looks to you and it looks to a, to a lot of Knicks fans that you've got, I would like let's call it like it is. I think you have guys like Julius and Evan, and specifically those two that are more or less just playing out the string right now. They know the season's over. Um, they're not going to max out. You can already see that on defense with those two. They're especially mm-hmm. right now. They're like in complete space cadet Cancun mode right now. Um, they're happy to take their shots and keep it moving. Yeah, they're they're not out here trying to bust their ass to win games. Which Tibbs doesn't know yet, apparently, or get a contract. Yeah, exactly. They all got they both <laughs> got paid, so they don't need to bust their ass for a contract. Um, I, I just I think w- within that context, the fact that Tibbs is doing absolutely nothing to make his life any easier, the fact that they for some reason go through stretches of games where, you know, last night he's cooking, starters come back in, he doesn't touch the ball for like basically four minutes in a row to end the the first half. Um, That's like the only kind of weird situation where. They're- a quote-unquote point guard would help. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, like, it's just for him to be doing what he's doing and and really 
kind of stepping into a leadership role, both with his play and also I think like what his play says about how he carries himself. Um, yeah, I just I'm so impressed with him, and I've I mean I've always said that like just bet on guys that work like him that give a shit and. And he's it, a hooper, it, hooper. Yeah. he's a professional. And, and it looked fucking stupid earlier this year when he had this month-long drought where he couldn't do anything, and he looked like the least athletic player in the history of basketball. <laughs> and like it looked bad, but um, you know, it, we see it. Like he always sticks with it. He gets through those shitty stretches, and he finds a way. And and I think like that's just says so much about him. Um, and. You know, I just, you know, I, I really can't stress enough how much respect I have for just kind of everything that he's he's going through and, and dealing with and, and really not making a big stink about it ever and, and just getting through it. Um, yeah, I just, I, I'm really happy to see it, obviously, as a fan of the team, but also just, like, happy to see it because I think, like, Knicks fans need to see that reward for like patience Something, almost right right it's like well it's like the because I, I people have been like we've been rebuilding forever we haven't been rebuilding forever we have not this is like actually the first time we've rebuilt with genuine purpose and yeah we can sit here and say the frank and knox picks didn't work out and sure that's true but i would not classify whatever we did during that time period as like rebuilding it was kind of just like let's just do shit see what happens i think that the first year where we really really were obviously rebuilding was weirdly that 2019 20 season when they struck out on on superstars and they had to they had no other option um and it wasn't until fisdale got canned that you really started to see some development from those young guys and i think like and i should i'll as on top of that like that so that team was shitty and had a shitty coach and miscast players and it was weird but like you really look at what happened like who was there like guys were, the talent was. Well, I'm not saying the talent was there to like make the playoffs or something, but like, look at what Julius did the next year. Look at what Portis went on to do. Look at what Mitch was when he was healthy and he finally cut his foul rate down. Like, you had Marcus Morris was shooting 45 percent right. for three for like half. And the Marcus year Morris us. has played what? Well, I mean, he he's been a role player on very good teams, so he hasn't had the same like volume numbers, but he's fine like he's still marcus morris he's still a solid player <laughs> yeah bullock was there um, right yeah i mean they, they had like solid enough talent but like yeah i mean it just just really though like this is the first time the knicks have kept and not just not just rebuild but like actually played these guys a lot of minutes consistently year to year stuck with them and like yes I, do i think that every bit of circumstance that the team has given players like RJ, Mitch, Quick, whoever. Has it been perfect? No, absolutely not. I mean, we've sat here and we're going to bitch about it today, probably. We'll probably bitch about it in the future until Tibbs gets fired. Um, Like, no, it's not all been perfect, but like the fact that they're just giving these guys minutes and keeping them and holding on to them is like, this is what happens. Like, you might ultimately get a reward, and the Knicks have always punted on that by like, oh my god, Frank sucked his first year. Like, let's not play him anymore and desperately search for point guards and wings everywhere else, but like not make it any priority at all to give him minutes. And I'm not saying that like if they just given him minutes, everything would have been turned out different, but it's more of like a broad point where the only other young player I can ever remember them actually just being like, yeah, you know what? We're going to stick with you and give you a bunch of minutes and whatever was Kristaps. 
And Kristaps was really good from day one, right? Like, he was actually good as a rookie. Um, and then, obviously, you know, we're going to relive that entire thing. But, like, the point being is, like, RJ is kind of the first one since that point that, like, you're like, okay, yeah, they stuck with this kid. And, yes, he was a third overall pick, so you're expecting kind of a high reward anyway. Yeah, but that's different. I yeah. know exactly what you're getting at. Like, this isn't like a John Morant, Luke yeah, exactly. Zion situation where it's like, oh, the the reward is, is instantaneous. It's right now, yeah, great. And and then the other, the other thing, I'm glad you brought that up. I was thinking about this earlier when I was just thinking about draft stuff, as I do during the workday. <laughs> uh, like, people, for you know, it's easy to say, okay, let's look at RJ compared. In fact, it's a perfect example. Look, RJ, Zion, and Ja, right? So, Ja is a year older, more than a year older than RJ and Zion. So, like, we compare them year to year, but really... It's also a year cornier. Than both and them. a year cornier, exactly. So, uh, very important fourth dimension there. So, <laughs> if you know, like, I'm not saying RJ is going to be as good as Ja is this year, next year, because Ja Moran is really good. But if yeah. you think, say, like, we have spacing at decent positions and RJ continues to get better next year. It's not inconceivable that RJ averages like 20 a game, 25 a game. Like who the fuck knows? Like literally all he needs is spacing and hit 24 a game right now. Like that's the last quarter of a season. Basically. That's what I'm saying. Like I'd be very conservative. Like if he had some spacing and decided to not be like Shaq from the free throw line, like he would easily hit 25 a game and like, and he plays defense. So like you're talking about a very good player there, but because Ja is a year older and Zion is also incredibly young for his draft class like RJ, but Zion is a fucking alien and it like broke all the metrics and graphs possible as a very young player. Like the expectations are kind of out of whack. And you add on top of that, like last year's draft, which was, I mean, that this is last year's draft is, We'll look back on that draft as like one of the better drafts of the last 15, 20 years, probably when it's all said and done. So like, like you said, we haven't had that many picks at all. And then of the picks we have had, we haven't had any that really required patience and then had any payoff. So this is all new to Knicks fans. And then we're looking around and it's like John Morant with the f- without <laughs> realizing that he's like a year and a half older or Zion with. Like you can't compare to Zion. That's and, just not and these, annual. And like, and and Knicks fans will look at this RJ thing, and they won't understand that is like should be the takeaway. That like, oh yeah, shit. If you like actually just bear through some of these growing pains, and and wow, oh, I guess growth really isn't linear, and sometimes they can suck for extended periods of time before coming out the other end and looking really good. Like, guess what, guys? This just doesn't just apply to RJ Barrett. It applies to Emmanuel quickly. It applies to Obi Toppin. It, I promise you, there is going to be a stretch where Quentin Grimes does not shoot like Clay Thompson from three. I when Quentin, I it, was so fun, be, it was so uh, funny when Q was first when he first got called up. And remember, he was like insane from the get go. He like I had people literally saying like, literally, I will say who because it's a buddy of mine. But it was like y'all, you, you, if you're listening to this, you probably follow this first, and, and they were like. Why can't Quentin Grimes hit five threes a game? And I'm like, Steph doesn't is the only one who hits five threes a game ever, and that will remain true for the next fifty years in all likelihood. Like he's not, he's actually not Clay Thompson. Like I I promise you, like it's me. Hi, hello, it's Prez, the person who is the highest on Quentin Grimes. He's not Clay Thompson. Like just relax. 
Yeah, it's like like Quentin Grimes is not gonna shoot. He's he might, and I think he actually is like a forty percent three point shooter. Like yes. I actually believe that. But he's not a fifty percent three point right. shooter. Right, and and even forty percent three point shooters go through stretches where they fucking suck from three. Like this happened to JJ Redick. It's happened to Joe Harris. It's happened to. Kyle Korver. It's happened to literally every great three-point shooter. They go through stretches where they suck ass from three. It it will happen to Quentin Grimes. It happened to Emmanuel quickly this year, by the way. It's happening to Emmanuel quickly this year, by the way. Um, it like it happens to great shooters. What you don't do is then assume that is like their true level. Oh, this is what he is. Oh, this is what like like th- like this is why with quickly. I don't care. Like I do not care. He's shooting poorly from the field. And I also, I have no idea why people were so upset about his performance yesterday. Like, I, yeah, did he play great in the second half? No, he didn't. Um, I also think it's weird to, like, take him out when they're up 11. And then it's like, oh, I'm going to put... Oh, by the way, we're down four now. Please save us. Like, I think we consistently do this to these bench guys quickly. And OB, specifically those, because they've been in the bench the entire year. Where it's like, and we know this, we know, this is not like to say that they're perfect, but we know the reality of the situation is that the starters all year have farted away leads that the bench has built, built up. That is just a fact of this team, okay? I don't care what you want to say, oh, because they're playing, the, st- the starters have a harder match. That, it's not really my point. My point is, this is the situation you always put these guys in. So they are, like, it is inordinate amount of pressure to be like, oh, by the way, thank you for building up that lead in the first half. Can you now stop this like collapse that we're going through right now and build up the lead again? It is it's it's a ridiculous expectation to have, and I think they get judged so harshly because of that. Because a normal team, the bench gives you an eleven point lead. Okay, the bench gives you an eleven point lead. You at least lead is like five or six or seven or something. They come back in; it's already a four point deficit. Like it, this is like abnormal stuff. So. I, I think all of this stuff plays on it. Does that mean that quickly sh- is shooting acceptably from the field? No, obviously not. Like that is obviously the thing that we are all like, "What the fuck? Please shoot better." But at the same time, like you have to be willing to go through that shit to get the reward. Like people are like, "He's on a point guard. He's on a point guard. He missed Obi on a lob. He missed this pass. He missed that pass." I agree. He's missing some passes. A lot of passes even. Whatever. I don't care. However you want to frame it. He is missing passes. He's not always making the right decision. He's taking stupid shots sometimes. A lot of times. Yes. But guess what? This is the shit you have to go through to get the reward. And yes. like... We and talked about it with RJ and it's even more true with guards. Yeah. And and here's the other thing too is people are like, well, he's not a point guard so why put him in this role? What Like, it... It is the dumbest way, especially for ball handlers, perimeter players in general, getting them on ball reps, even if they're not going to be ultimately like a primary option, right? Like, or a secondary option, even whatever it is, getting them those reps helps their long-term development significantly. And you can go through the NBA and you can go through rosters and you can find guys that got put in positions like that early in their careers that did not end up as point guards but benefited from it tremendously. You look at somebody like Brandon Ingram. You look at somebody like Zach Levine. You look at... There's a number of guys. I've, I've named these guys before. I had a tweet about it this week. Actually, it was kind of funny. I tweeted about it, like... And then Fred Katz had a story, like, a day later about Emmanuel Quickly and name-checked both those guys. So I was like, I guess everybody knows about this or something? Or Fred Katz reading my tweets, which I highly doubt. Um, but, like, 
I I just think that there's a lot of there's so many guys that benefit. Desmond Bain, that's one right now. Desmond Bain got a bunch of on ball reps that he probably didn't deserve to start this year, but he's developed out of that. And obviously, he's not playing on ball next to John Morant. Desmond Bain, that's what happened in college. People yeah. like like he he was literally the entire. He was the point guard, the shooting guard. The fullback, he was all that shit for TCU, and it allowed him to get really good at passing and shooting off the dribble and things that a player like him normally wouldn't be great at. Right, exactly, and it's just like, like the, these are the things that you need to be willing to go through to get that reward, and that doesn't mean everyone's gonna hit. Like the re- the fact, like you know, you've talked about this before, but like the reality is of all these young dudes that we have, right? RJ, Cam, IQ, Obi, Grimes, Deuce, I'm forgetting, maybe Mitch, if you want to include him, Jericho Sims. The odds are, like, half of them are never are not going to be long-term pieces here. A few of them probably won't even be significant players in the NBA. But, like, your goal is to find the ones that are and keep them and develop them. And, like, the only way to do that is to put them in positions and live with some of these mistakes. Now, that doesn't mean I want them to tank. But like, it's it's also like I want to. I think they deserve at this point of the season, especially they deserve to have the opportunity to go through a game and go through the ups of it, and also when they go through the down, not be yanked out of the game and pulled out. Like they need to experience all of that, where like the actual entire flow of the game, the entire substance of the game, is being carried by them. Not by Julius Randle and they're playing off Julius. Not by Alec Burks coming in to close out the game of the fourth quarter. Not like no, no. Let these guys go through that shit. That, I'm not. And I, I, I say Randle like I don't. I'm not saying bench Randle, but I do think that we could do a little bit more to uh, not exactly just acquiesce to whatever Julius wants us to do on offense at all times. Um, and the Burks stuff just needs to end. I don't give a shit about that. Like that just needs to go because those are worthless reps for everybody involved. Um, but like. Again, the entire point is these guys just need to have those those experiences, go through that, and then maybe you get the reward from it. Like we're seeing that with RJ. Like, yes, it helped that last year we were actually good, but I also think going through all of these things and and struggling and and sucking ass for an extended period and having to work your way through it, like that's how you come out the other end better for your experience. Like, I'm gonna start a hashtag hashtag save Alec Burks. And the way to save him is by not playing him, so his knees don't explode next year when he's trying to get another contract. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 just I don't know the the entire development thing though is like, you know, and it's you know with Tibbs too is fucking bananas. Like I just I don't understand what, and it's like weird because I don't necessarily I don't think he's like a bad development coach, but I also think that he sucks at development within the context of a game. Because he will never, like, did quickly, again, did quickly play well in the second half? No. On aggregate, was he better than what Alec Burks was giving you? Was he better than what Evan Fournier was giving you? Was he, like, yes. And so, like, to pull him and just not, like, I just don't, I don't get that. I don't, I don't get that. I think that shit is stupid. And it basically means that, like, to finish out games, quick has to be, like, he has to play as well as he did against Philly, uh, the, the previous game where he was really good the entire time, and he actually got pulled in that game, too, in the first yeah, half. Yeah, his, he traveled. Uh, the other game where he scored 17 or whatever. On 21. Like, no, no, uh, oh, yeah, like his, against the Nets. Yeah, yeah, yeah his, his, his first, like, quote-unquote, good game back. And uh, 
it was the same thing. He got he got pulled and put back at, at like a stupid time. It's I mean, we've talked about it ad nauseum. Like it's it, it's the accountability levels are way, way, way higher for the young guys than it is for Burks and Fournier and all that stuff. And it's just very silly. Like, I mean, we could like we could get into it. Like his comment. I don't did I don't I don't remember when did he say the comments about the um did Tibbs say the stupid comments about like this is all we one? have or whatever? Oh yeah, you okay? Look, just, like we can just talk about Tibbs at this point. Yeah. Uh, um. But before we talk about Tibbs, hoops fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is too good to pass up. I'm talking between the legs, 360 windmill good. New customers can bet just one dollar on any team and get one hundred fifty dollars in free bets if they win. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still take your shot at a big payday. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet just $1 on any NBA team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 plus minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Void where prohibited. Minimum $5 deposit. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text the TN Redline 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777 or visit, or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467 369. Um yeah, look, the tips thing is his quote was essentially that this is they asked him, you know, about Alec Burke starting a point guard and all these things, why Deuce didn't get minutes. And he basically just said that this is the best we got right now. And I'm gonna just say this and I'm gonna throw it over to you. That is a comment. That's a quote that one I think really I mean, if I'm Emmanuel Quickly, if I'm Deuce McBride, if I'm these guys, yes, I'm sure there'll be people that'll be like, well, they should take that as insp- like motivation and put that to use and like get on the court and prove him wrong and like, you know, say you can say that all you want. I- I'm not sure what the evidence is that Tibbs is going to give them a chance or that they're not doing that already and they're still not being rewarded for it. And but more importantly, um, and that Mike, I mean, just the comment itself could easily kill a player's confidence for a lot of reasons. Um, but more importantly, that is a comment that I think is specifically said to create an excuse for himself, to create cover for himself when he is most likely, almost certainly, inevitably canned at some point in the next few months. Um, and I think it's a shot at the front office. Hey, these are the guys you got me. I don't think any of them are good. I'm playing Alec Burks a point. Sorry. Like, that's what that is. And that's a shot at whoever was the driving force or the driving forces behind drafting Deuce McBride. That is whoever in the organization was the driving force or driving forces behind selecting Emmanuel quickly and wanting to get point guard minutes. Um, that says a lot about that that to me is a really shitty thing to say and i think it's it's shitty for the players 
And forgetting shitty, it's also ex- an extremely divisive comment. Um, and I know that people will think you're making a mountain out of a molehill, but like, I, I don't. I, I think that that comment, the way he said it, listen, the point of the season, he said it, that means something, and it, he did not say that by accident. Yeah, Tibbs is Tibbs is petty. We've known this for a long time. Like we've seen it with prior front offices he's engaged with. And we also saw it last year with this team, even when things were good. Like we've heard about the whole thing about him joking, you know, calling Brock Aller hanky as a like pejorative and basically him, you know, intellectually understanding why Aller is here, but like he's you know, he's he respects Leon and he respects Wes because he knows those guys, but like this guy's just a nerd to him, right? Like it's I'm sure he's not like, like I can't even say I'm not sure he's like mean to him because he's he's an old school guy and to him it's probably really funny, right, to do shit like that. And Brock Aller's good at his job, so he probably doesn't really care that much. Um, but oh no, I'm sure he cares. I'm sure he cares. Like like this is the thing. All these small things when you're winning, nobody cares. Doesn't matter when you're winning. That's you're true. Winning. That's a very good like, point. Like you're not. It's winning, still a job. Though. It's still yeah. a job. And yeah. and that's just that. You, like you're not winning. So now, when you say shit like that, people like when you're winning, people have to look the other way, or they have to let it. You know, they have to brush it off. They have to just get on with it because you're winning. Because you are doing the business that you're here that you got paid five million dollars a year for, whatever the fuck is getting paid. Like you are delivering on that. So. People got to shut up and deal with it. But right now, you're not delivering. So all those things that people brushed off, now when you say it, they might have a smart-ass comment to say back to you. Like, and and who knows? I don't know how Tibbs would take something like that. I'm not saying that's what what's happening, you know? But, but I'm just yeah, saying, like... That's like, how yeah. it works in workspaces, like right. professionally. And people got egos and pride in their work and all that. So, yeah, when I first read those Tibbs comments, I, I don't really get riled up too much over... Um, Coach comments dating. I'm just too used to like, we've had so many coaches. Larry Brown. Yeah, dating back <laughs> to like Larry Brown. Like, coaches just say shit. Like, if you really search for meaning, most of the time you'll come up empty handed or grasping for straws, um, especially when things are going well. Um, but even when things are going bad, but like, I, I don't know, I reread it and I was like, oh, like, this is so obviously a middle finger to, you know, we know there's a, uh, a difference of opinion in terms of strategy for the front office and, and Tibbs that manifested at the trade deadline, which is the whole thing with Cam. Like, oh, I don't play potential. I play good players, whatever. Um, insert jerk-off motion here. Uh, like, he is totally, especially with Rose hurt, he's like, come on, like, my point guard was hurt and you didn't get me a point guard. So I don't have a point guard. So I'm going to play Alec Burks, who's not a point guard, because he's the closest thing yeah, can, and I, I can, got to a point guard. Can I also just say, like, that is such a bullshit thing, by the way, because, here's why, specifically. He's mad they didn't get him a starter that he wanted, right? That's basically what he's mad about. But they did bring back Derrick Rose. Do you think Do you think Tom Thibodeau wanted them to bring Derrick Rose? What are your thoughts? What do you think? I suspect he might have. Yeah. Like, you cannot sit there and be like, well, they only got him injury-prone point guards. When half of that equation is somebody that I 100% guarantee you, I would fucking put my fucking balls on the line. I'd bet my balls, both of them, my right and my left nut. I would bet both of them that he wanted Derrick Rose back. 
He knows Derrick Rose is injury prone. He know he knows this. Everybody knows this, right? You got to be living under a rock to not know this. He knows this. He wanted him back. So now to be like, not just I'm not saying that he is saying this, but I have seen this sentiment expressed. Where oh, well, all the front office did is you know they took a shot on Kemba and they brought back Rose, like injury prone point guards. Sure, but half of that equation is Tibbs. Tibbs wanted Derrick Rose back. So now to be, use that as an like, I could have told you before the season Derrick Rose is going to miss time. Everybody could have told you that. Could we? Could we have predicted how much time? No, but like to use that as an excuse now is such complete and utter horseshit. And like, what is he the only coach dealing with fucking injuries? Like, give me, give me a break, man. Like, I'm so sick and tired of fucking injury excuse. The Knicks have had like better injury luck than basically anybody in the NBA the last two years. And when that shit went in their favor last year, ain't was anybody? I certainly wasn't. I don't think anybody was talking. Oh, well, the Knicks. He doesn't deserve coach of the year because the Knicks injury luck is good. Nobody said that shit. Not a fucking soul said that shit. If there was a reason to not give him coach of the year or give him coach of the year, that would that did not that conversation did not happen. So I don't want to fucking hear about injury luck because for damn sure for two years he's had better injury luck and the Knicks have had better injury luck than most fucking teams in the NBA. So just I don't want to hear shit about injuries. That's a horseshit excuse. And you know what? It's especially a horseshit excuse for a guy whose entire you know kind of like mantra and and ethos in Chicago is next man up and no excuses and all this shit. What, but now, when shit hits the fan, now we, now we gotta fucking make you know, 50 excuses for him and talk about you know, fucking three injuries. one Only one of any significance, by the way. Um, because God knows that if Kemba Walker had gotten hurt earlier in the year, Tibbs would have been fucking celebrating, uh, you know, in meatpacking, fucking buying bottle service for random fucking people at the club or some shit. So, I don't want to hear about any of this shit about fucking injuries. Like, that's a, that's just a load of shit. And a bunch of people that want to fucking make excuses for him <laughs> because they think that, you know, coaches are fucking holy and, oh, the organizational dysfunction if we fire a coach. Like, like, guess what? Like, if you suck at your job. I promise you, if Tibbs had the Bulls, Zach Levine and DeMar would be the one and the two. AO would not be getting minutes off the bench and they'd slide a wing up to the three instead of letting AO help contribute. Even And that's even with the Bulls not even needing a quote-unquote traditional point guard. That's with like DeMar and Levine. I promise you he would not think. I don't even like calling it outside the box because it's not outside the box and most coaches would do something like that and he wouldn't. So like it, it's very, you know, again, getting to the injury luck thing. Like he's he's... He's shooting himself in the foot. And the thing is, if you go back to, you know, he, he joined the Knicks. They paid him a lot. And he has a say. He's a voice in the room for Leon, along with Wes, Brock, Walt Perrin, Scott Perry, I guess, whatever. Like, there, you know, it's it's definitely a, a collaborative, sometimes conflicting atmosphere. But that was a stipulation was like, you're not the GM. You're not going to win every time. But Leon being a GM who's chosen to have a sort of um god what was the name of that Abraham Abraham Lincoln biography uh Abraham Lincoln biography yeah I know team of rivals team of rivals we're getting All intellectual right. here basically Abraham Lincoln filled his cabinet cuz this is back when like you had to um have uh, the vice president come from another party and the cab anyway he had a bunch of people he disagreed with working with him to get different ideas in and that's kind of what Leon Rose is doing he's like I got the nerd I got Wes, who's just like off the handy over here. And then I got Tibbs, who's just violent. And I got Walt Perrin, who's like the company man. And it's just really smart. So he's got all these perspectives and all that. And Tibbs is like, all right, I'm going to be a part of it. Can I bring my people? And Leon's like, nope, you bring in my people and maybe one or two of your people. And so he's he's tried to mitigate 
Tibbs' need to control things. And last year they found the balance, right? And we've talked about this. They got guys who Tibbs, who they wanted, who also Tibbs, who aligned with the roles that Tibbs envisioned. And this year it was a mix of things and they hadn't have as much success. They got Fournier, who it sounds like Tibbs wanted, but he wanted Fournier to be Reggie Bullock with fucking Persian spice. All right. Like I'm a thousand percent. I'm, I'm like, I've never been more certain of anything than that. Tibbs wanted Evan Fournier. You want to know why I'm a thousand percent sure of that? Cause he never benched him. He's never benched him. He's played him the entire fucking year. That's if he didn't point. want him, he'd have benched him. Like that's it's as simple as that. If he did not want him, he would have benched him. He definitely would not be riding him for thirty fucking minutes a night or whatever the fuck he's riding him for right now. If he did not want him, we know this. Like this is a fact. If Tibbs did not want him, do you really think he'd be sitting out there fucking riding this guy for thirty minutes a night? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. That's how you know he wanted Evan Fournier. That he signed off on that. Hundred percent guaranteed. No doubt about it. I I would wager another pair of testicles uh that 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 is the case like there's no doubt in my mind hundred thousand percent sure tom thibodeau was absolutely on board with signing signing him for Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.